Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Ra Goddess. Ra is an entrepreneurial soul coach, CEO and founder of Move the Crowd, an entrepreneurial coaching and training company and movement, galvanizing 3 million plus entrepreneurs to reimagine work as a vehicle for creative expression, financial freedom, and societal transformation. She's the author of the book, The Calling, Three Fundamental Shifts to Stay True, Get Paid, and Do Good. With Sounds True, Ra Goddess has released the new audio series, Making Money, Making Change, in which she shares a step-by-step path for defining and achieving a new kind of success, one that allows us to be true, paid, and good. I have to say I love talking to Ra Goddess. I felt various thresholds, various ceilings that I've put on my own capacities to be true, paid, and good falling away as I spoke with her. Listen to this conversation with Ra Goddess. It's a great heart joy to be here with someone who feels to me like a new friend, someone I'm just getting to know, someone whose work I deeply respect, Ra Goddess. Ra, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Tammy. It's my joy to be here. Now, for people who are meeting you for the very first time, can you give us a sense of the arc of your journey? I know several years ago you created a TED Talk and you talked about the journey you made from being a starving artist to a sustainable revolutionary. And now you have uh, an academy where you're teaching people how to stay true, get paid, and do good. So tell us a bit about the journey that got you there. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's for most of us, it's never a straight line, right? It's uh-huh. always, always lots of lots of one fun, wonderful and fun, exciting twists and turns. And so, may I always begin with, um, you know, I am a what I describe as a change of life baby born into the intersection of civil rights and hip hop. And that has shaped my aesthetic. Um, You know, my parents, uh, very, very big on education, very, very big on family, very, very big on community. 
And, you know, my mother used to have a saying there, but for the grace of God, go I. It's one of her favorite sayings. Um, and what, you know, she and my father instilled in us was that the only difference between us and anyone else who was less fortunate, right? I'm using air quotes for those of you who are listening, um, is a twist of fate, is a turn of circumstance. And it was their way of encouraging us to stay humble, I think, in the work and and in life. And they also used to say that if you had any advantage, any opportunity, that you had a responsibility to make a way for somebody else Um, because they knew what it was to fight for the very, very basic decencies in life. And so they really instilled that in in us and they didn't just talk about it, they lived it. Um, <clears throat> and I think that, you know, infused in me has always been the driver. So whether I've worked in nonprofit, whether I've worked in corporate spaces, um, and then ultimately becoming an entrepreneur after um, a sort of nonprofit industrial complex meltdown, <laughs> you know. Um, it has always been the driver is to use whatever I've been given, whatever I've cultivated, whatever I've learned to try to make a way for someone else. Now, now you say you had a nonprofit industrial complex meltdown. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, there are models that we know are not working. And, you know, I think in the years that I was very, very active in the nonprofit world, it was because it was the work that I most wanted to do. And I would say that most people who occupy that sector and occupy that world, that they, they're clear that they're servant leaders. They're clear that, that it's about wanting to make a difference in the world. But so much of what we often have to do to sustain the structures that enable us to do the work that we want to do don't often carry a lot of dignity, don't often lend themselves to longer-term viability and sustainability. And so often when you're working in a nonprofit context, especially if you're an executive director in a nonprofit context, and um, you're spending twice as much time trying to keep the whole thing afloat (laughs) as you are doing the work that maybe you ultimately calls to your heart. And there are people who do thrive in those models. You know, they, they potentially come from a particular kind of background and orientation where they love that challenge. Um, I was not one of them. And I had to, um, really come to Jesus with myself about what did it mean to be a purpose-driven person at odds with economy? And I think that's a lot of what uh, we talk about in the context of the work that we do with the crowd. It's a lot of what I talk about in, you know, in the book, The Calling. It's a lot of what I talk about in Making Money, Making Change. <laughs> you know, like we, how do we find our way in, um, in worlds where we feel like the status quo 
doesn't support our value system or doesn't support the way in which we want to show up and be in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Ra, this is one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about because you write about how you had to heal your relationship with capitalism. And I'm imagining people listening who say, I have uh, various criticisms of our capitalist society. What do you mean healing my relationship with capitalism? How did you heal your relationship with capitalism such that you're now uh, talking about uh, making money? Yeah. Talking about it. Here we are. We're, we're going to make money and we're going to make change, but we're also going to make money. Yeah. So what I came to understand was there for me is a distinction between capitalism and economy. And part of my healing was being able to separate the culture of capitalism from the principle of economy. And there are other, you know, we, we know capitalist, capitalism as one economic system, but there are other economic systems. There are other ways in which other cultures and other communities have operated inside of what I'm going to call more life-giving ways of economy. And this idea of how we uh, attract, or how we earn, and how we spend, and the opportunity to do that in ways that actually for forward and further more love, more generosity, more communal wealth. And healing my relationship, what it enabled me to do was to go from being an anti, a person who was opposed to, a person who was living in reaction to, or a person who was victimized by those constructs, to a person who had my own vision for what I wanted to create around myself and around my money, and a, who had her own vision around what an economy rooted in love and truth and honor and respect and dignity could look like. Can you share with us a bit when you say your own vision, what is that for you? For me, it's that I really am contributing to economies that are life-giving, economies where more people can thrive and prosper, economies that carry dignity and honor and respect at the center. Um, you know, I talk about this in the course, the economy of love, the economy of truth, and the economy of we. And I say that, you know, the economy, in the economy of love, it is about this new level of generosity that is sourced from something different than obligation and pressure and the sort of um, way that sometimes we give even when it is painful or we um, neglect ourselves in order to show up in a particular kind of way, right? And and it's an economy of scarcity that invites this sort of obligatory giving as a way to prove you're a good person, <laughs> but it's painful. So we have a lot of people who are putting themselves last. We see this a lot in indigenous cultures. We see this a lot in communities of color. We see this a lot in the culture of women and the way often that we define it. And, and that's not the only place, but it's more prominently, right? I think we all have a piece of this where we give in ways that hurt. Um, in the economy of love, it says that I'm sourced by something different. I'm really tapped into a more prosperous supply. And when I'm giving from that place, from a well-sourced and a well-resourced place, 
I can be more generous. And as the giving contributes to my expansion as opposed to my contraction. In the economy of truth, I'm accountable and responsible for the choices and the decisions that I make and the impact that they have on me and others. And I'm willing to own where I'm a part of the solution and where I'm a part of the problem. And I'm willing to be actively engaged around moving to places that enable me to be more a part of the solution than a part of the problem. In the economy of we, it's the story of us. It's the fact that we, don't, we are not on an island unto ourselves. We have seven billion neighbors <laughs> that we share space and air and water and energy with. And how are we gonna do this together so that I'm not interested in an economy that's rooted in how do I obliterate you or how do I dominate you or how do I subjugate you? but I'm rather rooted in an economy of how do I expand you? How do I contribute to you? How do I uplift you? How do we work in ways that make the pie bigger? How do we work in ways that make the world better and that we all have a hand in and an active role to play in doing that? And we're excited to be about the business of collaborating to be able to do that. Well, first of all, Ra, I just want to say, as you're describing the economy of love, truth, and we, my cells are lighting up inside. I want to make sure that I understand a couple of things. First of all, it sounds to me like what you're saying is, I'm not going to focus so much on the outer capitalist society and criticisms I might have about the billionaires and the tax laws and what they're getting away with and et cetera. Instead, I'm going to focus as being a conscious creator, that's gonna be my focus of an economy of love, truth, and we. So first of all, I wanna see if I've understood you correctly. Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. And then I wanna ask you a couple of follow-up questions here because you talked about, let's start with the economy of love. You know, I'm tapped into a prosperous supply instead of this notion of scarcity. And I think when some people hear that, they're like, wait a second, the truth of my life is a truth of scarcity. That's what's happening right now for me. I don't have enough money for this, that, or the other thing. I have debt. I have scarcity. You know, when I hear somebody say that, I just think, oh, come on. Yeah. You know, good for you. Good for you that you're, you're tapped into an economy yeah. where there's prosperous supply. That's not my experience. So what would you say directly to that person? Yeah, I would say to them, I understand. And what you want to know is that that is all by design. That the indoctrination and the systems and the structures and the way that we have defined power and creative power have given us that result. But the challenge is we can criticize capitalism, we can, you know, look down on the rich, we can do all of those things, but it doesn't give us a different reality. And at some point, we have to decide are we willing to take back our right to participate? as conscious, active shapers in forging a different reality. And it's why, you know, we started with the conversation of healing because a lot of us do have to heal in order to create more capacity to affect the kinds of changes that we want to affect. 
So I do begin the conversation with saying, we do have to heal. We do have to understand what is it, what is it that I have said yes to? Or what is it that I am participating in that is creating this reality for me of I have nothing? And we've all seen it. You know what I mean? In other words, whether that's your reality or whether that's the reality of somebody that you know or love, whether you've been able to work your way out of that reality, there has to be a moment where every single one of us has got to say, this is not working for me and I'm willing to do something about it. And I'm willing to be in a conversation that invites me into other alternatives that don't leave me in the fixed position of being impoverished, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially impoverished. Well, what I'd like to hear more about, Roz, when you say we have to start with healing, what, what kind of healing are you talking about? We have to be willing to ask ourselves some really important questions about how we got to where we are. And those questions sometimes are personal questions that invite us to look at the ways in which we grew up and the messages that we've received about ourselves, about others, about the world, about money. We also have to look at what are the societal messages that we're getting and to what degree have we bought in consciously or unconsciously to the messages that we've been bombarded with? And how do we start to make some choices as we become aware of what it is that we believe? How do we start to make some choices about what it is that we want to be believing? And the way in which what we want to be believing has the potential to empower us. So specifically, tell me what you feel are some of the most important choices somebody needs to look at and choices they can make to be more in that conscious creator mindset. Mindset. The first thing is to embrace and even maybe try on, because maybe you are really, really skeptical, right? But just to try on the fact that you do have the ability to co-create with your circumstances. You are not powerless, though a lot of the indoctrination and a lot of the messaging will tell you that you are. You are not powerless. And I think that's the first place we have to begin is to even consider the potential that we do have a choice. Because what you and I both know, Tammy, is a lot of what ingrains us, a lot of what entrenches us in the positioning of lack is a belief that we don't have a choice, that everything outside of us is orchestrating and dictating our reality. And until we can unplug from that messaging, and I'm gonna get even more specific, what does that look like? That Cut the television off, let's start there. Come up off of social media, <laughs> right? Like really begin to create room and space to actually be with yourself and engage in a different kind of dialogue that isn't guided by what is existing and occurring outside of you. This is a hard one for some people. I would even imagine, Tammy, that some people are hearing this and they're feeling anger. Oh yeah, they're, they're mad at you right now, Ra. 
Like, how dare you tell me to go somewhere and sit down? <laughs> like, I remember, <clears throat> this is funny, but not so funny. I remember when I was young, my mother used to say to me, you need to go somewhere and sit down. Think about the kind of person you want to be. You need to go somewhere and sit down. <laughs> Think about what, you know, what you want to be doing versus what you're doing right now. You know, if I was doing something that was in her mind off or out of character or right wrong, if we, you know, we use the sort of the, the, the binary right and wrong conversation. But I think that, that how auspicious that we have had 18 months to think, maybe even a little bit. And whether you were bought to that place of having to think because you were overwhelmed or you were disrupted, your reality was disrupted, your economy was disrupted, or whether you got a, just a wonderful retreat by grace or circumstances, we've had time to think. And I'm saying to you, in your time to think, have you recognized that you do have power? Have you recognized that there are things that are important to you? Have you recognized that you do matter? That the choices you make matter? That the decisions you operate from matter? That the things that have happened to you matter? And that all of it shapes the way in which we see ourselves and the way in which and the degree to which we believe anything is possible or not possible in our reality. And the revolution is step one to start to consider the possibility that you can actually do something about it. In your work, you uh, offer people lots of different sayings or mantras that they can try on and see how do they feel? How does it you know, work with this for a week? And uh, one that really spoke to me was, uh, this is my world and this is my watch. And that spoke to me because I thought, you know, when I'm out there and I'm saying, you know, blah, 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 you know, all these things that are wrong, you know, uh, that I could go on about for a very long time. I thought, what if I interrupted myself and said, this is my world and this is my watch. And I decided what I was going to do instead. So it's a very powerful turn. And I can see raw why you are such a sought after entrepreneurial soul coach. I can see why. I was ready to text you last night, even though I don't have your number, and say, can I have a session? And I yes. want to get, I want it, yeah, okay. And Anytime, I, okay. Tammy, you right, know okay. the deal. But I wanted, to, I wanted to get into this a little bit because, you know, I'm going through, a, or I was going through before I started engaging uh, with you and your work, preparing for this conversation. And I was like, you know, the, and I was working with a really hard situation. And I was feeling burdened by it. And I couldn't see my way through. And then uh, this is what I read from you. If you really want to change the game, you must embrace the fact that you're a creator. And I thought, okay, that's true. I'm a creator. Like I'm sitting here and I'm just kind of complaining really about this and just feeling terrible about it and just kind of complaining. Okay, I'm a creator. But then this second part really got me. You must start to pay very close attention to what you believe. And this is the part I'd like you to talk more about because it's the part that popped me out of it because I realized that I'd bought into a bunch of beliefs about the situation I was in and that I didn't have to stay stuck in that. So when you see the beliefs 
that are holding people back. And I know you work with lots and lots of people and you've seen patterns. What are the beliefs that you think people are, that's what, that's what they're stuck in. That's why they can't move out of it. Yeah. There are six core beliefs and I do talk about this in the calling, right? And I talk about this in making money, making change. There are six core beliefs that I've seen over and over and over again in various dresses and pants and culottes, <laughs> right? And colors and disguises. The first is that there is not enough. At a fundamental level, in terms of world consciousness, we have been indoctrinated into believing that there is not enough. That in order for the world to go round, somebody's gonna get it and somebody's not gonna get it. And so much of our existence becomes dictated by ensuring we are the person who's gonna get it. Let's pause on this one because I think this is pretty all pervasive. Yeah. What if someone's listening and they go, but that's true. Someone's going to get it. Someone's not going to get it. What if they think, well, that's true. Yeah. And I'm, you're just saying that's just a belief. And I'm, that's not true. I'm saying to you, it's true because we believe it's true and because we operate from it as if it's true. Right. In other words, we can show, and this is how you know it's a belief you all, because again, you're going, this is, you may be feeling some heat right now. You know it's a belief because you'll want to defend it. You'll want to fight for it, even if it limits you, even if it challenges your possibility. And yes, we have been indoctrinated to believe that there is not enough. We have been indoctrinated to believe that we, in order to be in the world and in order to experience the world, quote unquote, the way it is, we have to be okay with human suffering. And this is the indoctrination of what I call old paradigm power, right? And so when you say there is not enough, you and I both in three seconds can name just off the top of our head, five people who have more of name, money, what, that they will, than they will ever. Their grand, great, 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 great. I mean, they could die and all, everybody in their lineage could die and be reincarnated and they still won't spend all the money. So this conversation of there's not enough or this idea that some people have and are entitled to have and other people don't have and well, that's just the way it is, is a construct that we've bought into. And depending upon the degree to which we continue to feed that belief, we perpetuate that construct. Okay, well, let's, I'm going to stay with this for a moment because I think it's so important. So let's say someone's listening to go, it is a construct I bought into. I bought into it. I'm fully bought into it. Ra, what am I going to do? I believe this. I believe this is true. I believe the more I get, you know, if I become part of the 1% or something, all these people aren't going to have something. I believe that. I believe yeah. that. So the question is, is that what you want to believe? And as you sit in that belief, does it empower you? Do you honestly feel like that belief empowers you? No. I think people would say no. No matter where you fall on this, you'd say no, it's not an empowering belief. It's a one that puts me at odds with others. Would you be open to an upgrade? Hell yeah. <laughs> that begins the conversation.
And that's really the million dollar question for anybody who's listening. Are you willing to consider something different? Because if you aren't, there's going to be a long conversation for you. (laughs) I'll tell you now, I love you. It's okay. It's going to be a long conversation. (laughs) But if you're willing to consider, and this is, you know, Tammy, this is where we have to come with fierce love and conviction and commitment to one another. This is not, and this is part of also the challenge we face, right? Because this has been relegated to touchy-feely. This has been relegated to the fluff fluff. This has been relegated, oh, that's that new agey, you know, I'm sitting on the floor with no money talking about my world is abundant. And I'm saying, no, 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 this is a very grounded opportunity to really touch the truth. And are you willing to stay in there with yourself enough to have something different? Hmm. Okay, so let's say our listeners, the ones that still are with us, uh, are open-minded to thinking about this question of maybe there's enough and that when I benefit, I'm not taking something from somebody else, we can all rise together. That's the first belief that we need to examine. Now you said there are six. So let's let's see if we can go through these because I think this is really juicy. Yeah. Second belief, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. So sure, there's enough. The world is abundant. Oprah, well, she's fabulous, of course. She would have all the great things, but me, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. I shouldn't have it because of this, this, and this, and this. And this is really, let's, let's be clear, you all, all of it's trauma. Let's just say that out loud all of its trauma because it challenges our sense of wholeness and well-being. And we are repeatedly exposed to messages that challenge our sense of wholeness and belonging and well-being. But in this, I am not worthy conversation, it's personal. It's personal and we have lots of reasons. Some that we're aware of, some that we've buried deep. Some of us know that we believe this and grapple with it every single day. It's what we've now famously called imposter syndrome, right? And perfectionism. And there are lots of other ways in which we sort of talk about this conversation. For others of us, we don't even realize that this is operating. I talk about this as well, right? It's in the background, kind of like white noise. We aren't even aware of it anymore, but it's dictating and guiding our choices. So I begin the conversation with, asking you to pay attention to what you believe. And also by saying to you, there's some things you know you believe, but there's some things you believe that you don't even know you believe. And part of the excavation work that we all are being called to do is about what we don't even realize is in there, that we're operating from. Yeah. Well, this is this is real healing work to go into those places where we don't feel worthy. Okay, let's move on to the third belief that has us out of our power instead of in it. I am afraid of what it's going to take. I am afraid 
of what it's going to take. And this has to do with our definition of success and what we believe we need to trade in order to have it. Whether that is our free time, whether that is being present with our children, whether that is our health and well-being, what am I going to have to trade? And, and, and it touches against, but I'll come back to beef with capitalism because that's on the list, but it touches some of that, but it's what we've been indoctrinated, the, the mythology that we've bought into about success. And I want to keep saying, Tammy, because this is, this is part of the, the, the challenge of how do you break the old paradigm is we would say it's true because we've been indoctrinated to believe it's true. So we operate from it like it's true. And then hunts, it becomes true. There are laws of nature. There are principles, there are universal principles, right? That operate in concert with what it is that we believe to be true. And when we speak it and when we operate from it and when we declare it, because we are so powerful, it does indeed become true. So this whole idea that in order to be successful, we have to sacrifice in ways that are painful. That we have to give up in ways that are harmful. And that not only do we have to do that, in other words, we have to scrape and scrounge and grit and, you know, our way to the top. But then there's all this other stuff we got to do to stay there. Because, in fact, somebody's always trying to tear us down. So this idea of what I want requiring more than what it is I believe I have or am willing to give creates more pain, mm -hmm. creates more trauma. Your very first sentence in The Calling, I used to believe that if I wanted to make money and be viewed by others as successful, I'd better be prepared to trade for it. So you don't feel that you're trading right now in any way in your life for your success? I'm trading when I'm operating from the old paradigm. When I can stand in the new paradigm, and you all, I'm human like you are. So some days I'm aligned and it's glorious. And other days I'm out of whack and it's hell. And that is real. It is a practice. But in the days that I'm aligned with my commitment and my vision, the days in which I'm like, oh, I'm really choosing, I'm making different choices that enable me to experience something other than profound trading and suffering. There is a difference between empowered choice and painful sacrifice. When we, and I keep coming back to this idea of this idea of choice, when we don't feel like we have choice, because this is what it means to be a conscious creator is to say, I have choice. And that, that my choice is God-given, spirit-given, source-given, for those of you who may aspire to other, you know, love-given, right? 
So when I am in the space where it's like, oh, I'm choosing, then I'm either like, oh, this is a good choice where I keep going or nope, you're suffering. <laughs> Hello, you're trading. Why don't we make a different choice? And our work in the world, our making change work, our business work might require sacrifices on our part, sacrifices of our time, doing difficult things that we really don't want to do. But what I hear you saying is if you're saying, I choose this, I choose to do this thing, even though this aspect of it kind of stinks, I still choose it. I choose it, that that's different than trading. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about it, right? So, you know, what do I invest to grow and evolve? Because this is really the conversation we're in. Like, whether you want the seven-figure business or you want the Maserati or, you know, take your pick. Your opportunity to lean in and pursue that desire is an invitation to growth and evolution. When we're talking about, I give time to this, I, I invest time in the things that I love. This is where we come back to like, okay, what are, what are we up to? I invest time in things I love. If I meet something where I feel a sense of resistance, in other words, if I'm, I'm gonna use this, even though I love spinach, if I'm eating spinach <laughs> instead of chocolate cake, <laughs> and that's how it occurs to me, Am I in a conversation called, I ultimately feel that there is a greater good that I'm moving towards. I actually recognize that as much as the experience of eating spinach may not be totally all the way pleasant, there is nutritional quality in spinach that supports me. I might be okay with choosing the spinach, which is very different than some of the other things that we're being invited to choose that are painful right? I don't know you all, and, and every single person has to reckon, reckon with this, Tammy. I don't know if spending most of your time away from your child is worth it. If I'm honest, you have to, you feel me? But you have to be yeah. in a conscious place of reckoning with it. Now, I have mamas Right. And, and, and fathers. But but I want to speak particularly about women because this has been so much of the societal pressure has been around women. I have mamas who are like super mom and super mogul and they want to be both and they want it to be OK that they can have both. And they want to find that balance, that sense of wholeness, that sense of integration that says, I want to be with my daughter, but I also want to model dreams fulfilled for her too, that the sky is the limit for her too. I want to do both. But there's an active conscious choosing in that and they're choosing in service to a vision. And in my mind, that is different. Okay, very clear, good. Okay, I want to make sure we get all six of these out. Let's go for it. Uh, four, five, and six, take it, Ra. I might be corrupted or changed. Ooh or compromise. Ooh, ooh, yeah. And so therefore, no thank you. No, I don't trust myself with more. So I'm just not gonna have more. 
five. We started with this one. I have beef with capitalism, the moral dilemma, the values challenge. I have real beef with the way in which, and, and a lot of us do, the way in which our economy is currently being run and operating and moving in the world. If I look at the corruption, if I look at the poverty, if I look at all of the things that show up in our larger world, I have beef with. And so therefore I don't participate. And what I'm saying is that we have got to cultivate a viable alternative. It is not enough to tune it off or shut it out because what we realize is that we're, we have to participate. And so then, then we're participating from a victimized place and there's no power in that. But we have to make different choices. And I'm saying we get to reclaim our right to participate in the economy and we get to shape what kind of economy we wanna be participating in. Small example of this, just because I think it might be useful. When I was in this revelation for myself, I talk about this in the calling, but when I was in this revelation for myself, I was like, oh, I'm supporting or patronizing a dry cleaner who's very mean. When I go and interact with him, he's grumpy or I mean, he's always yelling at somebody in the back. Maybe I could find a nice dry cleaner. Maybe I could find an organic dry cleaner with a sunny, dis sunnier disposition. Maybe that's where I would spend my money because I want to foster that business and support that business. I have a dentist who prays over my mouth before he works. Awesome. Who is meticulous and passionate about his work. He loves being a dentist. <laughs> How many people want to go to that dentist? Do you know what I mean? And I'm saying this because the, there are examples of people who pour their love into what they offer into the marketplace. And we have the opportunity to meet them with our resources. We have an opportunity to be them so that others can meet us with their resources. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Six and final, it's not safe. And this mm -hmm. comes from trauma and the experience of being singled out, being seen and having that be a negative, life-changing experience. We live in a society and culture that likes to build up and then rip down. It's not safe. So I'm gonna opt out. Now, what would you say to someone who does have that fear, fear of being torn down by others, being separate from others. We have to heal the trauma. We have to heal the experience, the original experience, and invite and create and build other kinds of capacities that enable them to find their own sense of safety, their own sense of inner reservoir of resilience and capacity so that they can stand. And that doesn't mean that always they're going to be met with roses, but it means that it doesn't attack the fabric, the very fabric, the very nature, the very core of their being. You know, Ra, I'm gonna call you Ra Goddess, the liberator. You are a liberator. You are a force of liberation is beautiful. Now I wanna talk about another emphasis you have in your work that I thought was really interesting that you put so much on this when it comes to the whole notion of making money and making change, that 
we have to make sure that we engage and do the forgiveness work that we need to do. And when it comes to the area of making money, I wanted to find out from you specifically in your own life, if you're willing to share, what forgiveness work you needed to do in order to uh, self-liberate and uh, be a moneymaker. Yeah. I had to be willing to forgive all of the places where I made mistakes, where either I was careless about money, with money, or I was resistant to money for all of the root cause reasons we've talked about. I, I also will say this, when, when I work with people around their money, sometimes we have to heal things that have nothing to do with money, right? Shame about a relationship, shame about what went on in our family growing up. I carried a lot of shame about certain circumstances and situations that happened growing up. I carried a lot of shame about when I witnessed my own parents struggling around money. And we have to, and it's interesting, right? Because Tammy, we teach all kinds of things in school, but we want to be, no, we don't teach forgiveness. We teach, say, sorry, you say, accept it. But we don't teach real forgiveness. You know, and shout out to the radical forgiveness movement and others that God who've come in. But, but if I were to ask somebody, and I have, look, tell me about your forgiveness practice. Tell me about your letting go practice. What are your rituals for releasing and letting go? Often we don't have them. We hold on. And money is one of those places where we doubly hold on, right? I would say family and relationships, right, right in there. Right. And for me, shame around how I grew up, shame around some of the ways that I've been indoctrinated as a woman of color in this country to see myself in relationship to what's possible or not possible. Shame around some of the things that have been done to me that made me feel less than human. Oh. There's a long, long list. We, and I do emphasize this because our liberation depends upon our ability to release and let go of anything that does not serve us, anything that holds us back, anything that weighs us down, anything that, that uh, imprisons our capacity to be all of who we are, to be whole, to be vibrant, to be healthy, to be well. And so in you, as you know, in the book, we talk about it and I give you rituals. I give you constructs. I give you um, steps, tools for how to do that. I'll go one step further, maybe, because I think it's useful. As an outgrowth of the, the experiences of what we've been through the last 16 months, my husband and I created a course specifically for white identified change agents around, because we know that there's shame around the construct of race and around the way that race has played out in our world and certainly within you know, the United States, 
is, is one, but, but many other places. And shame cripples our capacity to contribute to anything in ways that are useful and forwarding. And so much of the game-changing work that happens in that work is the work of reckoning, reconciling, and redeeming. And that's really what we're talking about. And we live in a culture that is very unforgiving, right? You make the mistake, oh, this now entitles us to cancel you or worse. And we have an opportunity if we really want to achieve the things that we want or need or desire in our life, we have an opportunity to cultivate and develop that inner sense of compassion towards ourself and that outer sense of compassion towards others as a form of liberation and an opportunity to grow our capacity to achieve more of those things that we desire. Now, you mentioned that you offer in both the book and the audio series practices and tools, but I'm wondering right here, someone's listening and they're saying, you know, I can get to about 80% for forgiving myself for that overspending, wastefulness, the way I handled money poorly, or, you know, the thing I'm reflecting on this like, bad business deal that I signed and I didn't read the documents carefully. In fact, I didn't read them. I had someone else read them. They said, sure, go ahead. I didn't even read them. You know, and I can kind of say, I can kind of be kind to myself, you know, and let it go, but I kind of can't. There's this like part of me that's like, no, yeah. now you have to live with this forever. You know, yeah. you know, why were you so ignorant? You just put your head in the ground. You didn't, you know, so whatever it might be, how do we further that from whatever percentage of self-compassion we can have, but we're not quite really there? Yeah, two things I would say. One is when you say that to yourself, whose voice do you hear? Whose voice do you hear? You think it's your voice, but whose voice do you hear? We learn lack of tolerance or intolerance from someplace. We really do. And I know that for me, when I was being really harsh on myself, I could take, I got really clear like about whose voice that was, which is part of this, this healing work we're talking about, right? Because we're all of this really is a conversation of how do we do the how do we do the healing work that gives us greater capacity to have, be and do what we want, especially when it comes to money. But whose voice do you hear? And then the second thing is, okay, great, you can get there 80% today. Are you willing to come back tomorrow? Could we get another 2% tomorrow? Could we get another maybe 3% the day after? Like, are you willing to stay in there with you as a practice? It's another thing that I underscore. It's practice, you all. It doesn't, it's not like we flip the switch and we're there. It's, these are practices. Like yoga, like meditation, practices. Forgiveness, practice. And I do ask, Tammy, it's so interesting you said that because I do ask on a scale of one to 10, how much of this can we, can we work with today? And sometimes people say two. And sometimes people say, I'm feeling bold. Let's go for five. Let's see if we can get, you know, five, <laughs> five of it. 
you know, transformed, right? Or on the scale of percentage, okay, let's go 50%. Let's just see if we can get to 50% of it. The question I would ask you, because I, I think this, your, your willingness to share for me is power, is whose voice do you hear? And how much do you have to suffer before you can let it go? Good questions indeed. Raw Goddess Liberator, your audio series, uh, What Sounds True, is called Making Money, Making Change. Build your business, make a profit, and serve the world. And we've talked about how important it is to address our beliefs, to really look into them. What about that person who's listening who says, I just don't believe you can really be a positive change maker, really, really, and make a lot of dough. Like, come on, it doesn't go that way. The people who are really the change makers out there, the activists, I don't see very many of them, at least, making very much money. Is it really true? How do I address my, this is a belief I have. How do I unpack this and start to open up to seeing it differently? Help me. Can you give me an example? You work with people. You work with people who are making change and making good money. Yeah. Yeah. So I can give an example. The trade, again, is a part of the old paradigm, right? And again, I keep coming back to like, when we look at what we believe, we have to look at where do we get it? Where do we get it from? Right? It's kind of like, oh man, this pair of shoes just showed up in my closet. Well, no, actually, I remember that trip in Spain <laughs> when I walked into that little store and I asked that shopkeeper, right, about those little shoes, right? Your beliefs have a story about where they come from and where we, where we take them in from, right? And so I'm saying this because when you come to these places of challenge and when you say, I, I believe, where did, who taught you that you had to trade? Where did you say yes to that belief? And to just notice that and to recognize that this is in the DNA of our society. So again, the question becomes, are we willing to challenge it? Even just a little bit. Believing that we can do good in the world, in the world and believing that we can be well compensated and well sustained in the world, I find is directly correlated to the belief that we can love and be loved. Wow. Explain that to me because mm -hmm. that's a very powerful correlation you're making. And so I wanna make sure I really get it. How'd yeah. you come to that? Yeah. In the work that we do around the true sort of the paid good construct, we talk about your mission as an expression of your love, your proposition, your offering to the planet is an expression of your love, right? Khalil Gibran's work is love made visible. When we do what is our work, the work that has our name on it, it is an expression of love. So when entrepreneurs come into our fold and we have conversations about what they want to do or what they want to change or what they want to create in the world, one of the questions we ask them, one of the very first questions we ask them is, how do you love? How do you love? What are the things that you offer, that you share? What are the gifts that you give? What are the gifts that you've been given to give and share with the world? So it's all about love. For a lot of us, 
we've been taught that we have to do certain things in order to get love. And that love is not just forthcoming. For others of us who have been loved and love positively, especially in the formative years, we hold maybe a different belief system. We actually see love everywhere. And we have no problem receiving love. We have no problem giving love and, and participating in the law of reciprocity of the giving and the receiving. When we feel like anything that we want to do, that we feel passionate about, that we think is important, doesn't deserve to be sustained, we're in the wounding of the indoctrination that says we have to trade. You know, we're coming back to that philosophy. And so many of us believe, like, I can't do what I really want to do. So anytime someone says to me, Tammy, oh, I have no idea what my purpose is, I say, oh, you mean you don't believe that you can do it. You don't believe it's okay to want it. You don't believe it's okay to pursue it. But if I were to ask you if money or fear of public opinion or any other concern that you have weren't a concern, what would you be doing? You better believe people have a ready answer for me. And often it contains the seeds in the kernel of their calling. So this idea that you can do what you love and make money, I actually want to invite you to challenge in such a way to actually believe that the way that you would make the most, the way that you would be the most prosperous is actually to do the work that you were brought here to do, to do the work that has your name on it, to do the work that makes your heart sing to do the work that you would do for free. Now, what a glorious belief that is. What a glorious belief that if I do the work that I feel I'm called to the most, that gives my greatest gifts, that turns me on the most, that is the way I would make the most money. That's a very powerful belief to choose. And then yeah. the opportunity is I'm willing to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I recognize that what I want to offer and bring to the world, because I don't know about you, Tammy, but I don't know anybody that doesn't want to make the difference, a difference in the life of another person. I mean, I'm sure those people maybe exist somewhere, but they're more rare than maybe we would think. Right. When you get really and I mean, I'm talking about let, let's let go of political party. Let's let go of ethnic identity. Right. Let's let go of gender. Let's let go of all of the things that we sort of maybe also believe about who is and who isn't on our side. However, we define that. Are there people who are operating out of wounds? Yes. Unhealed trauma? Yes undistinguished pain, yes, undistinguished belief systems that are limiting, yes. But if we really get down to it, we ask people what you most wanna do, they wanna make a difference in the lives of other people. Why wouldn't that be worthy of sustaining? Why would it not be okay to want to be sustained in touching the lives of other people, in helping people. 
in making life better for somebody. And this is where I say we have to, you know, as my, my saying is we have to break the fourth wall. We have, to, we have to shake up the globe a little bit on some of the insanity that we've all ingested and been operating from. When you say, Rob, we have to break the fourth wall, what's the fourth wall? What do you mean by that? So there is this saying in the world of theater, this idea that there is a moment, you know, when you come to the theater, you know, you're being invited into a world that is not your current world, right? You're in, being invited to sort of suspend disbelief, to come into this fabricated world. And maybe this fabricated world represents or has a expressions of or reflects some aspect of the real world, or maybe it doesn't, maybe it's totally fantastical. But there are moments in the context of theater when the actor will step off stage mm -hmm. and they will come into the audience. And we call that breaking the fourth wall. Mm -hmm. They will come into the world or the realm of the audience, and they're now operating and existing in their paradigm. And sometimes they pull them into the fantastical world, and sometimes they come into their world. <laughs> but the idea is that we do not challenge enough what we believe, what we think is true. And that doesn't mean we have to be antagonistic or hostile or cruel or nasty or negative. We get to learn how to challenge with love, but we have to challenge ourselves and some of the constructs that continue to perpetuate the kinds of disparities that we see. So can you make a difference? Yes, I know that was a long way of saying it, but yes. Well, you know, uh, interestingly, when you were saying, you know, we need to challenge ourselves, I think this is a, a good note for us to end on because uh, I wrote down a quote from you, your soul wants to grow you. And I wrote that down because, you know, I thought, wow, you know, I've signed up for a life that has a lot of challenges in it. It seems like some part of me wants to be challenged because I put myself right in a critical path of a lot of challenge. And a part of me, I like it. I like it, actually. Every day, there's something challenging going on, you know? And when I thought your soul wants to grow you, I thought, that's true. That's true. There's something, and there's something in me. I recognize that. I want to grow, and I welcome these challenges. And I wonder if you could just comment on that as a note to end on for people who are integrating this conversation and thinking about how they're going to move forward, welcoming the challenges, perhaps, that they face. Yeah, anything that you're aspiring towards is an invitation to grow. And your soul wants to do nothing more than grow, <laughs> right? That, like that's, your soul is here to express itself. And you grow through expression. And there are lots of things that are gonna call you to express, whether that's parenthood, whether that's CEO-ship, right? Whether that's whatever that is, right? Um, and we do have to, on some level, make peace with the fact that we are here to grow and that sometimes those lessons feel yummy 
and sometimes they feel lousy. But if we can get the insight, if we can pay attention enough to get the gift of the blessing or the lesson, we do become more of who we're meant to be. We do become more of who we really are. And this work is all about the invitation to become more of who you really are. Because when you become more of who you really are, then you are free. Loved, loved, loved this conversation with you, Ra. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Tammy. I so appreciate you. Thank you for creating this incredible movement that is Sounds True. I've been speaking with Ra Goddess, entrepreneurial soul coach and cultural innovator, the founder and CEO of Move the Crowd. She's written the book, The Calling, Three Fundamental Shifts to Stay True, Get Paid, and Do Good. And what an honor that wit sounds true. She's created a new audio series. It's called Making Money, Making Change. Build your business, make a profit, and serve the world. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com, waking up the world 